This morning, you know, if I were to say to you, do you have any last words? You know, those are some words that, uh, you know, we might have seen uh, on a television show or in a movie. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, maybe it's a villain that's holding up uh, the superhero and he, he, he gives them that alter, the ultimatum, right? Any last words? You know, our, some last words, they can be a memorial, uh, memorable. Are you ready, guys? Let's roll. Those are some last words uh, not too long ago by a man by the name of Todd Beamer. Uh, he was a passenger on United uh, Flight 93. Of course, this happened on September 11th. Uh, again, he said, are you ready, guys? Let's roll. And these were the last recorded words of this individual at the end of his cell phone call uh, as uh, he and the other passengers attempted to take over the, the cockpit that had been taken over by the hijackers. And, of course, we know that that plane went down in south-central Pennsylvania, uh, intended for Washington. But those are some memorable last words uh, that, that we can remember in the past few uh, years. You think of Scripture. There are some memorable last words in Scripture. I think about the book of Judges. Yeah, are you familiar with the book of Judges? Uh, when you read through that book, you know, it, there's this cyclical action that's continually going on where the people, uh, they, they call out, they cry out for God. God redeems them by bringing a judge uh, to uh, get them out of their bondage, and they uh, have success. But while they have success, they tend to forget God, and then they go into bondage once again. And this happens over and over in the book of Judges. Well, the very last verse in the book of Judges really sets the tone for what uh, that book is all about. Uh, if you remember, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own Eyes Again, that's, a, that's sort of a sad verse. You know, I think of Judas, the last recorded verse that we have of Judas in Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, when he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. You know, those are the last recorded words we have of Judas. But some last words give us hope. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing 2 Timothy, which is the last inspired letter uh, that we have in verses 4, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he wrote these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. You know, those are some encouraging last words. You know, when we think of Jesus and his last words, we normally think of what he said on the cross. Uh, Matthew and Mark both record that, he, that his final words were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Luke records, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in John's gospel, the last words that he record uh, of Jesus were, I am thirsty. It is finished. And a lot of times we focus on the gospel accounts as the last words of Jesus. However, uh, Jesus' last words bring our Bibles to a close. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning in the book of Revelation, specifically in chapter 22. You know, if you have a red letter edition of, of, of a Bible, of a translation, you know, the, that's where... Excuse me, in the book of Revelation, you're probably going to see a red all over it uh, because 
uh, this is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, when uh, publishers uh, tend to use that red lettering, that's just a helpful way for us to understand that those are the words of Jesus. Not that those words are more meaningful than the other words in Scripture, but it's just, you know, it's just uh, giving us a little bit of an emphasis that those are the words of Jesus. But again, the book of Revelation, uh, it tells us all the way in chapter 1, verse 1, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, these are Jesus' words, and he is speaking throughout this book. Even though this book is, is penned by the apostle John, uh, the, and John gets this revelation uh, from an angel, we're told, in verses 1 uh, through 3 in chapter 1. Again, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is is speaking to us. And so if these are his final words, if the book of Revelation, as we understand it, is the last book uh, that was written, uh, probably around 90 AD, then these are the last words that Jesus has communicated to us through his word. And so what what did he have to say to us in those final few words? And then that's what we want to uh, look at this morning. You know, those Christians during that time were under heavy persecution when these words uh, were, um, were penned to them. And so l- let's notice some four great truths. Again, some things that Jesus wants us to understand when it comes to his last words. Number one, he proclaimed his deity. Look at verse 13. Again, Revelation 22. Again, if you have a red letter edition, these words are in red. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, if we were to take the time to read the book of Revelation, you know, Jesus lets us, lets us know the same exact thing in chapter 1, verse 8. He tells us again in chapter 21, verse 6. And then he bookends it here at the end of the book in chapter 22 by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And, and what this is referring to is the eternality of God, that God is eternal. You know, that's something that we just can't comprehend as well uh, because we're human. We're finite. We, we don't live eternally uh, but, as God does. Uh, but he reminds us that he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, what is the Alpha and the Omega? Well, Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Again, the first and the last. You know, it's a figure of speech he's using here, that, uh, meaning he, it's standing for the entirety of anything. You know, if I walk into a store, you know, claiming to have everything, what will the salesperson usually have or will say? You know, I have everything from A to Z, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. The idea here is of completeness and eternity and authority. You know, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, he referenced Christ as the King eternal. He is the eternal King and we understand this when we read John's gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1. We said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's in reference to Jesus Christ. So Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, uh, in reference to, well, we could talk about his eternal existence. In John chapter 8, verse 58, there were some words that Jesus said that, you know, that really riled up the, the people, the, the, the Jews that he was talking to, because they were getting into this, this discussion about uh, Abraham uh, being the, the great father, Abraham of Israel, that he was. 
And Jesus said to them in verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Well, this riled them up because they picked up stones. They were going to stone Jesus because of him saying this, because I am. Because Jesus is referencing back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God, when he was uh, speaking through the burning bush to Moses, you remember what he said to, to Moses when Moses said, you know, I can't go to Pharaoh, or what am I going to say if I go to Pharaoh? And God tells him, tell them, tell Pharaoh, I am who I am sent you. I am, the great I am. God says, I am eternal. I am self-existent. I am deity. I am. You know, Jesus is going to say throughout the, the book of John seven times, you know, I am the bread of life or I am the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheep. And what he's saying is I am the self-existent one. I am eternal. I am the great I am. Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the Alpha and Omega when it comes to eternal existence and also when it comes to the atonement of sin, when it comes to the human redemption. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1 when Paul was writing to that church and he was telling them of all the great blessings of being in Christ. And it is really from verses 4 through 11. He tells them one after another all of these great blessings of being in Christ. And he tells, he tells them in verse 4 that God chose them from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, uh, he had chose Christians to be his chosen people. And then in verse 7, uh, he tells us that uh, one of those great blessings is the redemption of uh, through his blood. That, that Christ would redeem us through his blood. Again, this was in the mind of Christ before time began. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the Hebrews writer speaks of how the blood of Jesus, of this new covenant, is so powerful that it's able to go back, to flow backwards all the way through the beginning of the creation and all the way forward to cleanse those so that they would have an opportunity to be uh, with him. The Alpha and the Omega uh, to the Christian faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of the faith. He is also the Alpha and the Omega when it comes to the New Testament. You know, if we were to read the, the very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and also the very last verse in the New Testament, Revelation 22, verse 21, the name Jesus is in both of those verses. He is the Alpha and the Omega when it comes to the New Testament, the beginning and the end. And he's also the beginning and the end when it comes to the final judgment. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, Peter is describing uh, the judgment day, and he says that it's going to begin with the household of God. That The day of judgment is going to begin with Christians, with the church. It's going to begin with the household of God. Uh, we know that, that, that Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we all must come before the judgment seat of Christ. In John chapter 5, verses 26 to 29, uh, Jesus explains that God has given him the authority to execute judgment. And on that day of judgment, he says, is going to be the resurrection of, uh, of good to those who have done good deeds and the resurrection of uh, to those who had done the evil deeds, there, there will be a resurrection with, in which we will all take part of. Again, he is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha 
and the Omega. So uh, the first point that we want to notice here in the last words of Jesus is that he proclaimed his deity. Uh, Notice in verses 18 and 19. These were read to us a moment ago. But again, uh, it reads, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Jesus is declaring his authority in these verses. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 28, when when Jesus is giving the the Great Commission, remember he says in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he had been given the highest authority by God the Father. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that God highly exalted him. And he bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, or at the name of every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You know, and we understand this when Paul wrote Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, that, you know, he basically said that anything done in this world needs to be done with Jesus's authority in his name or by his authority because he is sitting on his throne. He is ruling at this time over his kingdom. He is head of the church. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. Notice with me in Hebrews uh, chapter 1 that he is God's spokesman today. He has authority. And Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Hebrews writer writes, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. You notice that? He said back a a while ago in the past, I used to speak to you through the prophets. I used to speak to you through your fathers in many different portions and in many different ways. But now, today, and going forward, I speak to you through Jesus. In uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, we have this account of the transfiguration. We're familiar with this account where where Jesus Jesus takes his inner circle. He takes Peter and James and John and they go up to this high mountain and Jesus is transfigured before him. Uh, His face is is like the sun. It's described. His clothes are as light. You know, he's just this bright, shining force. And and Moses and Elijah, they appear to him uh, on this mountain as well. And they're having this conversation with uh, Jesus. Well, we know that uh, within Scripture, you know, when, when Jesus would never say, you know, hey, you know, let, let, open up your Old Testaments and, and let's read this and this, you know. But Jesus would refer to the Old Testament as we refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. You know, hey, let's take a look at the law and the prophets. Well, that's what these two individuals represented. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. Again, the Old Testament. And Peter says, as they're standing there looking at Jesus conversing with Moses and Elijah, uh, he says, you know, it is good for us to be here. You know, let's make three tabernacles in honor of all of you. Let's make one for Moses and let's make one for Elijah and we'll make one for you, Jesus. 
Luke, in his account, actually says that at this time, you know, um, Peter was he wasn't really realizing what he was saying. You know, he was just speaking out of emotion. Uh, He was excited. And at that time, while he was speaking, this 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 voice uh, comes out of the clouds and says, you remember, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, this is the father's declaration uh, revealing that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were not equals. Right. Jesus alone is God's spokesman today. No, no one here this morning will be standing before Elijah or be standing before Moses or, or Peter on the day of judgment. But it's Jesus Christ. He is God's spokesman today. And so when we back here in Revelation chapter 22, in these verses 18 and 19, he tells us about his word, about his word that we cannot add to it or nor can we take away from it. You know, this is an important concept because we read about this in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two, towards the beginning of the Bible. We see it again in Proverbs 30, verse six, in the middle of the Bible. And now we see it at the very end in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, that we shall not take away from God's word nor add to it. My family, a couple of years ago, we went to um, Monticello in, uh, well, near Charlottesville, Virginia, when we were on vacation and we went to Monticello, which is the home of Thomas Jefferson. This is the home that uh, he famously uh, lived in uh, and all his land and acreage. And it was just this, this beautiful uh, place to visit. And, of course, as, you know, as many museums and tours that when you get done with, you know, at the end of the tour, you go to the, the, the bookshop or, or uh, the gift shop at the end of the tour. Well, while we were walking around, one thing caught my eye uh, out of, uh, was this book that was called the Jefferson Bible. And if you know about this, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he wrote his own version of the Bible. Well, maybe I should back that up and say he didn't write it. But what he did was he took a penknife and he extracted any verse that had to do with the miraculous. Anything, including the resurrection of Jesus, he extracted from the Bible. You know, the Smithsonian has a copy of this Bible. You can look at it online and you can see every place where he extracted words from Scripture that, that didn't um, tie into what he believed uh, was uh, the, the surreal Scriptures. You know, it simply it focused on Jesus' moral teachings. There was nothing about his deity in here. You know, and he kept this a secret. This wasn't really known to the world until uh, after his death, because obviously uh, they would have drawn great controversy uh, associating, you know, someone taking a knife to the scriptures at that time. We cannot add or take away to God's word. You know, Paul warns us in Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine, that if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, he is to be accursed. Friends, uh, Jesus, in his last words, he is declaring his authority to us. Let's look at another point in verse 20. He is affirming his return. Again, look at verse 20. He says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, this is a phrase that we see throughout the book of Revelation. I am coming quickly at least five times. And three of those times are in this last chapter alone. 
And this is a reminder to us that the second coming could be at any time. We, we know that throughout Scripture that Jesus uh, promised uh, in John chapter 14 that, you know, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. You know, I'm going to come and receive you to my own. And then after uh, Jesus's death, after his crucifixion and his resurrection in Acts chapter one, uh, we see the ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascends to the father in Acts chapter one, verse 11. Uh, they also said, man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Remember, all the apostles were standing around watching Jesus go into heaven, and they must have had uh, some sort of a sad look on their face because then these two men, uh, angels, appeared to them and said, do not be sad. The same way that he ascended into heaven, he will return and come back. And of course, Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, the, he says that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And then he says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then, and then the who, those who remain, those who are still alive at that time, are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds, meet, meeting the Lord in the air. And we will always be with him. Friends, the, again, the time is not given uh, when he will be coming back. But we know it will be sudden and quite unexpected. Again, no one knows. Man is always predicting, but no one knows. You know, years ago, there was a story about a gospel preacher who was on a train uh, heading towards Texas to hold a gospel meeting. And it just so happens that he was sitting in the same uh, uh, or sitting right next to a, a, a denominational preacher. And so, of course, the two of them would, would talk back and forth about the scriptures. You know, they were conversing the whole way. They had a long time to do this. And during the course of their journey, uh, the topic of the, of the second coming uh, came up. And so uh, as they were discussing these things, the denominational preacher said towards the end of their, uh, their disperse, he said, you know, the Lord, you know, he told me that... Uh, He's going to return within the next three or four years. And the gospel preacher looked at him. He took his Bible and he turned it to Mark chapter 13. And then he read verses 32 and 33 aloud to the denominational preacher. And he said, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert for you do not know when the appointed time will come. And so the gospel preacher looked at the man and said, the Lord just told me that he did not tell you what he had told you. Why be ready? You know, we ask ourselves this morning, why be ready? You know, I think a great wake up call for us, you know, what just happened a few days ago, again, in Western Kentucky and throughout the Midwest, those tornadoes, those were a prime example of why we need to be ready for that day, for the day that when he returns. We don't know when that day is going to be. We don't know when we go close our eyes and go to bed at night if we're going to wake up. And so we need to be ready. And he affirmed his return here. These are some of his last words that he wants to remind us. Be ready. I am coming quickly. And then finally, let's, this morning, let's notice one more uh, in verse 17 in Revelation 22. That he extended his invitation. Again, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. 
Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Friends, all are invited. We see in this verse that all are invited. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go into all the nations, right? Go teach all the nations. You know, usually when we plan a wedding, you know, it's been a while since I've had to do this. Well, you know, Angela did most of that, but it's been a while since that day. But, uh, you know, when you do that, you know, you don't have an unlimited budget, right? Especially if you're serving a meal, especially if you're you you have limited seating capacity, um, you have to number the guests, right? Uh, You can't afford to invite everyone. You have a budget. That's not at all. Uh, in reference to the invitation of Christ. The water of life, he says, it has no cost. You know, notice in that verse, he says, come three times. Come, you know, come, come. I'm inviting you. And you have to come and you have to take it. You have to accept the invitation. There was another parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 14. You remember this one, uh, the parable of this great dinner feast where a man was giving this great dinner and he invited many. Right? And so at the time that the, that the feast was ready, uh, he told his servants to go out and gather all of those who had been invited and bring them in for the feast. For it's, everything is ready now, he said. And so one by one, as, as his servants went to uh, invite the people in, one by one, they were offering excuses. You know, one of them said, I, I just bought a track of land and I can't come. And then the other one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and, you know, I can't make it now. And then finally, the third one said, well, I just got married. I cannot make your invitation. The master was upset. He, he told the servants, go, uh, go and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. But still, there was still room at this banquet, at this great feast. He told them once more, go out into the highways, go out into the the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Of course, this, this master represents God and the invitation that he has for us to come to him. He is compelling them to come in. But none of those who were invited And rejected my invitation, he said, shall taste my dinner. And of course, this parable is tragic because it depicts the attitude of so many unprepared and often unwilling to accept God's invitation to spend forever with him in eternal bliss. Again, this invitation has been given, but it must be accepted in order for us to benefit from it. And so again, Jesus uses his last words, his last opportunity to to speak through us through Holy Scripture to remind us that his invitation has been extended. Well, as we conclude this lesson this morning, you know, anyone who has written a term paper or a story or something to that effect understands the significance of a conclusion, right? Those are your last words. Those are your last chance to make an impression, to make it memorable, to make it count. And concluding Holy Scripture, our Lord and Savior had some points for us that he wanted to reiterate to us uh, before the, his scriptures would be complete. Again, I am deity and God, he says. I have the authority. I'm coming back and I am offering my invitation. And w- with these last words, you know, the, the final pages of scripture, it should verify us the significance of his message that I created you 
And I alone, I have the ability to save you. Do not add or take away from my words. Be ready. Be ready. It is certain. And all are welcome to the invitation. Don't reject it. And our prayer this morning is that these last words uh, of Jesus will be memorable to us uh, during our lives uh, when, when we continue to read the scriptures, that we know that these are the last things that Jesus wanted to remind us when, when scripture came to an end. Any last words? This morning, as, as we offer the invitation here this morning, if there's anyone here this morning who has not put Christ on in baptism, has, has not uh, had the opportunity to have the, uh, their sins redeemed, to, to be washed in, in the blood of the Lamb, this is the opportunity uh, this morning. Uh, the waters are prepared be- behind us for that to happen. Uh, if that be your will here this morning, uh, to put on Christ in baptism, or this morning, if you're here with us and you need the prayers of this congregation, uh, you need to, uh, to ask for forgiveness in front of the congregation. Uh, maybe you want to place membership with us. Uh, we would love the opportunity to speak with you of any of those things uh, as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.